Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles and will join me in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8, I'm going to take my text there this morning and we'll come back to this in just a little bit. But in Philippians 4 and 8, Paul said, Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The power of our thought process is just immeasurable because I believe what we set in our heart Amen. How we view things, the lens through which we view life in general is certainly going to determine how we come through certain circumstances, situations of our lives. And so today I want to, with the help of the Lord, I want to I preach to you from this subject, peace of mind. I'm thankful for peace of mind. Amen. Aren't you? God bless you and you may be seated. You know, sometimes the greatest lessons of all Scripture come from the most unlikely places. As a matter of fact, sometimes uh, some of the greatest lessons of life can come from very unlikely places. But our attention today is going to be centered around the story found in the book of Mark, chapter 5. And it's here at the closing words of Mark 4, We find the disciples and Jesus in a tremendous storm, Jesus asleep on a pillow. The disciples awaken him somewhat puzzled that he's not concerned about their welfare. But he simply speaks to the storm. In Mark 4, he spoke to literal winds and waves and and calmed them. In Mark chapter 5, he was going to speak to the storm of demonic oppression and possession in the life of a man that was living in tombs, cutting himself with stones. And so here the disciples have no idea that they are docking themselves, not to just a shore, but they're docking themselves to some life lessons that we're still talking about today. It was through the deliverance of this crazed man in Gadara that God was going to unveil some things. The Lord was going to use this opportunity not only to deliver one person, but he was also going to teach several. According to Mark chapter 5, even the demons in this man recognized Jesus Christ as the Son of God. They knew this is the Son of God. In James chapter 2, James declares this central truth. He said that the demons, the devil himself and demons believe that there is one God and the knowledge of that causes them to tremble. In Matthew chapter 8 verse 29, they even acknowledged that there was a time of torment that was coming 
because they said, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before our time? They understood that there would be a time of judgment. They knew that there would be an appointed time of judgment. As a matter of fact, John, the writer of Revelation in Revelation 12 and 12, reveals something very significant in that John said, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And so I would say if the devil knows what time it is, that the church certainly ought to know what time it is. And we shouldn't be asleep at this midnight hour. When Jesus arrived on the shores of Gadara, I will promise you that the spirit world was on high alert. Oddly, at least oddly to me, that the demons that tormented this man now are pleading with Jesus not to torment them. Those that were tormenting him were saying, please don't torment us. They said, what have we to do with thee, the son of the most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. Now think about that statement for just a moment. The very source of trouble, the very source of contention, and the very source of all of this peril was ill at ease by the thought of the Prince of Peace being in their company. In a larger context of this passage, we can see the destiny of Christ's actions. Everything Jesus did then and everything that he does now still serves a purpose. We can see that when Jesus left to go to the region of Gadara, that he left a crowd that had accepted him, embraced his ministry, and as a consequence of that, many people were touched, healed, delivered, their lives were impacted. But now... He knew all things, so he knew where he was going. And he knew he was going to a hostile crowd that would not accept him and that would reject him. And many times in our own lives, when we face certain measures of opposition, we can assume that because we are fighting something, that we're out of the will of God. But can I tell you, that's not always the case. Some of the greatest victories that we may ever have in our life will come on the heels of some of the greatest battles that we've ever gone through in our life. Jesus could have stayed where he was. He could have stayed where he was welcome. He could have stayed where he was wanted. Amen. But if that had happened, there would have been a man, at least one man that wouldn't have been delivered and there would have been a host of others that would never have been able to learn the life lessons that Jesus was going to teach them. After this season of opposition, they saw with their own eyes the spirit of deliverance and the spirit of peace. And you know, it's one thing uh, when we, I, you know, I think all of us like everything just right. <laughs> and uh, I, I heard someone not long, many years ago, I guess now was that I, I don't, I didn't know how you liked your steak, so I just went ahead and cooked it to perfection. <laughs> And that, that just kind of seems to be the hu human nature. We want it just right. We want everything to be just right. And we like to stay in the safety of the harbor. Um, we, we know what can happen outside when we leave those safe zones. We, we know that, uh, that, that problems and peril and trouble can happen. But you know what? Uh, there's a quote. It's often, been, uh, it's often been associated with Albert Einstein, but history also has several other names that are listed to this. But nevertheless, whoever said it first, it bears repeating. A ship in the harbor is safe, 
but that's not what ships were built for. And can I tell you that a church in a harbor is safe, but that's not what churches were built for. God didn't put his bride on this planet just so that we could stay safely docked and stay safely to the shore, but God has the church here, amen, he has the church here to confront. He has the church here to declare. He has the church here to embody the power of the work of the Spirit. The purpose of God is, is not to keep us safe, but the purpose of God is to teach us how to depend on him and how to lean on him and how to understand that he holds all power and he holds all authority. Because you see, without the risk of this journey to an unfriendly region, many would not have been touched by the hand of God. Among the Gadarenes, Jesus delivered a man that was possessed and, and, and it just seems so bizarre to me as you read this story that when Jesus delivered this man that was not just a menace to his family and not just a menace to those who were closest to him by way of friends or association, but here is a man that was a menace to the community at large. They had moved him to the edge of town, the outskirts of town, to the tombs. They had moved him to the cemetery. In other words, and that's where he was destined to live out his life. But when Jesus came to deliver this man, unbelievably as a result, he was asked to leave town. What he did upended and uprooted those that were there. His ministry was not welcome. His miracles were not welcome. That's not the only place. The Bible talks about other times that, that he did not many miracles in certain places because of their unbelief. And it's amazing isn't it, that the spirit of the Lord could, could be moving in our midst and we would not welcome that. We, we are bewildered by that at times. But, but even in this day, can I tell you that, that the miraculous hand of God is not welcome everywhere. Even in the hour in which we live, even in the nation in which we live, the hand of God is not welcome. Amen. Even in this short time, however, even in the short season that Jesus spent in this region, at least one man was delivered. Thank God for that one. As a matter of fact, this man was so impacted by what God did in his life that he desired to join the other disciples and to go wherever they were going to help spread and propagate the gospel. He said, I'm thankful that I've been healed, but I don't want to just be a statistic. I want to be a voice. I want to join you and go with you. And the scripture says that he asked to go, but that was not the plan of God for his life. The purpose of God was to leave him behind, not so that he would further continue being an outcast or not so that he would further find himself alone, but he was gonna remain in a place where once your very presence has represented terror, but now your presence is gonna represent the power and the spirit of peace. As a matter of fact, Mark chapter five and verse 19 gives us specifically the outline of what the Lord wanted him to do. Jesus said unto him, he said, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. You're gonna leave the cemetery. You're gonna leave the tombs. You're gonna get to go home. But I want you to tell it wherever you go. He was left there as a witness to the power of God. 
It seems like it parallels the life of Ezekiel if you study this because Ezekiel was a man that was not embraced, a man that was not welcome, a ministry that was not warm and fuzzy. But the Lord said all of this that they might know there has been a prophet in their midst. Amen. These people would always remember this notable miracle. However, this miracle came at the cost of the economy of this community, most especially to those who own the swine that were lost. And now it, it, it's, it's a common thought that this was, this was the economy of this area. And, and, and so when we think about the fact that Jesus cast the spirit out, the spirits out of this man and into the swine, and these swine ran over a cliff and drowned themselves in the sea we realize that somebody lost something here. Somebody had to pay something here. Amen. So Jesus had compassion. He brought peace. He brought where there had been chaos. He brought a spirit of peace. But here were people that cared more about what this cost me than what has happened positively in the life of this man. I mentioned in the first service, and I want to say it again today, that uh, in, in this service, that, that when we are in the process or we are in the ministry of reconciliation, when you're in the ministry of restoration, it is going to cost you something. The Bible talks about the good Samaritan and how he came by the way and found a man that had been beaten with thieves and he took of his own oil and wine and he put him on his own beast and he took him to an inn. He reached into his own pocket and gave the keeper of the inn what he could. But listen, it wasn't enough. It was not enough. He knew that it possibly was not going to be enough. And so to the innkeeper, he said, whatever you spend more, whatever this costs you beyond this moment, I'm gonna come back through. And when I come back through in that moment, I will repay you. Can I tell you that when the church is doing what the church ought to be doing, when we are in the restoration business, it will come with a price. But whatever you spend beyond yourself, can I tell you that the Lord said, when I come back, I'm thankful today that we've got a great bookkeeper. I'm grateful that we've got a great eternal bookkeeper. I'm not gonna spend more than he can give. I'm not going to invest more than he's not gonna return back. I'm thankful to know that kind of God. They were more concerned about what happened in their life than what happened in his life. But you see, God had a purpose, and that purpose was to produce peace. Jesus offered them what he offers us now, and that soundness of mind. God is offering this world today peace over prevailing fear. Yes, there's a lot of things going on in this world. There's a lot of things going on in this world that we probably don't even know. Amen. But I'm going to tell you I'm thankful for the power of peace. The power of peace. I'm glad to know that God can touch us in this day. Not because we're ignorant. Not because we choose not to tune in. Not because we choose not to be aware of our surroundings. But I'm going to tell you we serve a God that's got a hand on this that's bigger than the hand of any man. I'm thankful for the hand of God. If you've been around here or been around us, uh, us being Sister Boyd and I very long at all, then we have probably written you this prescription at some point, and that is 2 Timothy 1 and 7. 
when you are faced with situations and circumstance that you didn't know what to do or where to turn, we have given you this scripture. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I'm going to tell you sometimes there's a space between there's a space between what what uh, the, the 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 diagnosis and the healing. Amen. Sometimes there is a space between the news and the solution. And so what we need in that space in the meanwhile is for us to realize that God has not given us to the spirit of fear. And hear me today that fear is not an emotion. Fear is a spirit. He's not given us to the spirit of fear but of love but of power and love and a sound mind. Fear produces torment. The fear of failure, the fear of punishment, the fear of others, the fear of our future. Fear has no end. It goes on and on and on. Amen. So I pray God help me to not succumb to that so that I do not implode my future by those kind of thoughts. John revealed that love was the antidote of fear. In 1 John 4 and 18, he said, there is no fear in love. And he said, but perfect fear, but perfect love rather, casteth out fear because fear hath torment. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but we have all been subjected to the torment of fear at some point. And if you haven't, just hold on. Hold on, you will, you will feel, you will feel the torment that is associated with fear. That's why I can't let my mind drift and be tempted to drift down the, the avenue of fear. John 14 and 27, this is what Jesus said. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I'm gonna give you. And can I tell you today, while there are those that have experienced the torment of fear, there are also those, and it may be the same lot, amen, that has experienced the peace of God, peace that has kept us when we should have been troubled, peace that have kept us when we should have been broken, peace that held us together when we should have been shattered, the power of God and his sustaining peace. The Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us and remind us that with God there is an abiding peace. According to Mark 15, or rather verse 15 in chapter 5, the, the people of Gadara feared the wrong spirit. When they saw this man that had been formerly possessed, when they saw this man that used to spend his nights and days cutting himself with stones, when they saw this man that had been a lunatic now clothed in his right mind, the Bible says they were afraid. That's what the scripture says. They were afraid. They were afraid of the peace that was now in this man's life. The record of the miracles of Jesus, I believe, attests to his authority over sickness, over disease, over whatever we may face. When the disciples of John the, of, of John the Baptist came seeking verification of the Messiah, they were assured that this was the Messiah by the many miracles that he had wrought. Blinded eyes were opened, lame men walked, Lepers were cleansed, deaf were hear, could hear, the dead were raised alive again, the poor received the gospel. The list could go on and on and on, but this was validation, verification that indeed this was the Messiah. The prophesied works of the Messiah were all being fulfilled in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So there could be no doubting his credentials. There could be no doubting where we are in time. Can I tell you this morning that the greatest battle that we face is the battle in our mind. 
Amen. The real battle for peace of mind is actually in our mind. The enemy attacks our thoughts. And attitude has everything to do with it. I want to be very careful when I say things like that because I don't want you to think or anyone to think that I'm implying that with our own human strength, we can guide our future. Now, I'm not saying that at all. With the help of the Lord, God is the one that's going to keep us. But our attitude, my mind, has got to be submitted to his will. Amen. Because the enemy attacks our thoughts. That is the battleground. And so I've got to have the right attitude. Proverbs 23 and 7, Solomon said, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Whatever lens you're staring through, whatever lens you're looking through, that is where we're going. Amen. You're going to, you're going to go where your eyes are going. You're going, to, you're going to drift where your eyes are going. So I say, Lord, help me to keep my heart right. Help me to keep my mind and my thoughts pure because that is going to determine who I am. Amen. The battle is not really with God at all. The battle is against our adversary and whatever opposes God is the spirit of Antichrist. If you're not for Christ, you're Antichrist. Amen. So we got to resist every argument. We have to resist every prideful thought that disputes the truth of Scripture. I got to control my mind, and that can only happen as I submit myself to the Holy Word of God and His Spirit. Our, our, the mind is a processor of every thought, the mind is a processor of every emotion, the mind is a processor of every decision that I make. And so when we control our mind through the power of the Spirit, then we can allow the Spirit to lead us and guide us. Amen. You know what? This is relative if you've been down the road a few miles. If you've encountered a few things where your life has just com completely been upended, then we realize the power of God to keep us in the midst of storms. Paul said in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, this I say therefore and testify of the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, and he explains that. He said, they walk in the vanity of their mind, having their, the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. He said, don't be like that. Don't walk like they walk. We've got to allow God to renew our thinking, renew our mind. We've got to have God thoughts. Amen. It's important. It's important what we read. It's important what we give ourselves to. It's important what we listen to. It's important what we watch. I need to have some God thoughts because that helps me reflect on the power of his spirit to bring victory into my life. Ephesians 4.21, the Bible says, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning the former conversion conversation rather of the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I'm going to tell you God is going to be with us when and where it really matters. Has God ever been with you when it mattered? Amen. Has God ever been with you when and where it really mattered? And I want to tell you that your thought life really matters. And it's God that will be with us in those moments if we'll allow him to. 
Paul said also to the Ephesian church, he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Our mind. Amen. We need to receive the mind of Christ as we grow in him. And I will tell you that that is a work in in progress. It is a work in progress. Change takes time. I've said often that change can be, obviously change can be instant. There can be a, a moment of change. But but change is also gradual. It is very incremental. Conversion is a change of the mind. And it's a powerful moment. The moment we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I would never want to say or do anything to try to take away from that. But can I tell you, that's just a moment of initial walking with God. That is an initial start with the Lord. It is a progress from, it is a process rather from there as we begin to let the Spirit of God change the old man into the new man. Amen. It's a process of adapting a new worldview. It's a process of, adapt, of, of adapting a, a, healthier, or, or a healthier attitude or, or godly thoughts. I think that many former ways of thinking, many former ways of living have got to be changed. Amen. Sometimes we have a lifetime of things that have to be changed, but God can do it. Absolutely, God can do it. In this process of growth and maturity, as we are transformed into his image, Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And so we've got to continue to control ourselves and allow the spirit to help us to mature into what he's called us to be. It's a battle between flesh and spirit. Can you say amen to that? And that battle is going to continue as long as we have breath. Our battles change, of course, over time. I've said many times that the temptation of an 18-year-old is not the temptation of an 80-year-old, but life still has filled with temptations, and we've got to make right decisions and subject ourselves to him. Paul reminded us of this continual battle. He, he wrote about it in Romans 8 and 7. He said, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He went on to say in verse 9, But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. We've got to have the Spirit of God in us. And so we've got to stay focused on Him. The prophet Isaiah spoke about peace that's promised to this steadfast person. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And so Isaiah is, is talking about a peace that's promised not just whimsically promised, but promised to someone that's steadfast and intentional about their walk with God. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna pray, if you're gonna have a prayer life, if you're gonna pray every day, you gotta be intentional about that. Very intentional about that. If you're gonna read your Bible every day, you gotta be intentional about it. That, that can't just be a Sunday morning thought that we have. You gotta be intentional about that. We gotta be steadfast in those things. And so a steady mind is one that is disciplined to just think about the good because we really become what we think. So this brings us back to our text in Philippians 4 and 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, Paul said, underlining this, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Then he says in verse number nine, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall 
be with you. I'm encouraged, and I've been very vocal about this through the years, but I'm encouraged by people that are positive thinkers. I'm encouraged by people that are problem solvers. Life has problems. Projects go wrong. Life goes wrong. And at that moment, you don't need someone to point out the obvious. You need somebody that has a solution. And says, I know what we can do. I've, I've always been challenged and encouraged by people that are problem solvers. They can look at something while everybody else is in a tether. Their mind is focusing on how can we resolve this? How can we fix this? I've been so challenged by people of that caliber through the years that it's made me want to be one. I don't know where I am in the process, but it's made me want to reach for that to try to find the good in this, to try to find the, a way that we can reconcile and we can, I know this has all been out of shape, but I believe that we can, I believe that we can get this righted. I want to be that, that kind of person. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and I will close with these comments. The same vessels that brought the disciples and Jesus to the shore of Gadara we're now being boarded. A man has been delivered. Yes, the economy of someone has been upended. A community has been affected. What we would think positively, but of course that wasn't the perception of all. They were loading these vessels about to shove off. And they were going back where they came from. They were going back to where people had loved the ministry of the Lord and loved the disciples. Behind them, they were leaving, as it appears, one lone man. But he was now a delivered man, set free by the power of God. In truth, we don't even know his given name. We just merely know him as legion because of the many demons that tormented him daily. We don't know what his name was, but we do know that he had an identity change. They could no longer accurately call him Legion. He had been changed. You know, when, um, when Jacob's name was changed from Jacob to Israel, something in Scripture I've always personally found intriguing was the fact that Jacob never, ever, ever referred to himself as Jacob again. Others did. Some couldn't forget his past. Some still called him Jacob, but, but he was there when it happened. And he referred to himself as Israel. And so maybe there were some that continued to call him Legion, but they couldn't accurately call him that. Because he was obviously changed. Changed. The fame of that miracle continued to echo because I believe this man never stopped talking about it. When people asked him about the scars on his body, I believe that that gave him a golden opportunity to say, let me tell you about this. The woman at the well left her water pot pot ran 
and told, come meet a man. Come meet a man. Come meet a man. This man talked about how a prince of peace confronted the power of the prince of the air. And deliverance was declared in his life. Now he was at peace, clothed in his right mind, restored into the image of God. His life's purpose had now been changed. I mentioned this a moment ago, but I read it with greater clarity now. Mark 5 and 19. He desired to go with them. Let me join your ministry and let me go with you. But the Lord said, the scripture says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but he said unto him, Go home. Go home. Go home to thy friends and tell of how great things the Lord hath done for thee and how he has had compassion on thee. That's your mission. And I believe that's our mission. Why? One preacher, one voice could never reach the world. So that was never the design of God for every church to just have one voice. No. No. The scars in your own life tell a story. They tell a story worth hearing, really. A testimony of radical change that has taken place in your life. And so our great commission is to tell our story. Now, your story may not even compare to the man of Gadara, but you still have a story. All of us have a story. And we should tell our story wherever we go at every opportunity that we have to share it of how the Lord stepped into our life and how he has brought peace and circumstances and how that with great confidence we know he will do it again. Amen. He'll do it again. Let's stand. I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost that keeps us, sustains us in the name of the Lord. Can we just magnify him in this song? In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, for the hope we find in you today. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we find in you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.